My name is Scott Challoner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. It is a very chilly winter day here in the capital as you join us on the show, but joining me on today's programme to hopefully add some real warmth and brightness to affairs is Neris Hughes, Advanced Practitioner, Paediatric Occupational Therapist and Founder and Clinical Director of Whole Child Therapy. Um, Neris, very warm welcome to yourself and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on the show. It's a pleasure having you. Oh, thank you, Scott. It's lovely to be here. Uh, Likewise, lovely having you alongside me as well, Neris. Um, Now, with regards to um, your organisation, Whole Child Therapy, just for those listeners tuning in that might not be familiar with you, I think it would be good to expand on essentially the work that you do. You're essentially a multidisciplinary children's therapy clinic, aren't you, if if that's correct? We are. So we, we run a multidisciplinary children's therapy service both nationally and before COVID internationally. Mm -hmm. And we also run an accredited training arm for education and healthcare professionals and for parents and people working with children and young people. Yeah, brilliant. And um, I understand as well that you had a background in sort of the insurance industry and sales and recruitment sort of before you went into that line of work. So what was it that sort of made you think that sort of delving into this side of things and starting your own organisation was going to be the way for you? Well, I think my journey was a wibbly-wobbly one. Um, I worked in quite a lot of industries. I mean, originally I actually trained as an actress um, and a singer and and, and worked in theatre and did all of my secondary education in theatre and theatre and education, Um, mainly because I was really dyslexic at school and I just didn't believe I could be an academic. Um, So although when I was a little girl, all I wanted to be was a nurse or a doctor um, or a vet, it just didn't seem a realistic opportunity for me. So I kind of landed in insurance because it paid the bills and I could speak on the phone very well and I could sell. Um, and I was really lucky. I worked at Churchill Insurance. And at that time, they had quite a lot of focus on professional development. And I worked my way up sort of through the sales to claims. And then Churchill kindly offered to um, help me become an underwriter. And as I started the underwriting training, I realized that I was doing all this quite heavy law, quite heavy mathematics and thought hang on a minute I, I didn't want to do this I wanted to work in medicine um, but the, the, the boost that I got from having my company support me and sort of promote me forward and push me educationally forward meant that I did in the end actually leave them and sidestep and pulled myself back into healthcare which was a, you know my childhood ambition mm. um, and I was able to realise that so I suppose a lot of the jobs I had before becoming a therapist, before becoming a clinician, really were just where I landed because of the need to have a job and pay the bills. So whereas healthcare was really a love and a passion and a drive, and I suppose that's why I decided to run my own business because the drive I have within me to, to run that and to to perform and, and, and give back to my community was just so strong that I think whole child therapy was born from that desire to serve my community. And it's quite incredible, isn't it, that the organisations come about that you've sort of built up from scratch and you've overcome the challenge of doing that and overcome whatever's been thrown at you in sort of the wider world, particularly so over the last couple of years with the COVID pandemic. But you've also overcome kind of yourself, in a sense, with those sort of conditions having sort of held you back through childhood. And now you've kind of overcome those to become the success that you are today. So it is quite inspiring stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and when I went for my dyslexia assessment at university, the assessor said that I was tenacity in its rawest form. Um, and 
it that actually I didn't have the sort of the neural capacity to learn to read and write or, or, or to do the things that I was actually doing at university at that time. And I suppose tenacity, drive, um, grit and will probably are the qualities that mean that I can be a business owner and a CEO. But um, yeah, I suppose other people do tell me it's inspiring. I think for me, I've just been in it. <laughs> it is me, yeah. so I don't really know how else to see it. But I, I do know that the I'm very lucky that I have been continually inspired and continually supported by others to get to where I am. And I think that's probably, again, the driving force of whole child therapy is that we really do believe that every child can, every child should, and that if every child has the right advocacy, the right person behind them, then whatever they want to be, they can get to and they can achieve. And I suppose really that that perpetual cycle, that, that swinging pendulum of where I didn't believe I could or I, I was told continually I couldn't be to how I listened to the, 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 the voices that said I could be and then how those helping hands got me there. And then the whole child therapy, I suppose, has grown into being a helping hand for other children and young people to be able to realise their own aspirations and dreams. Absolutely. And I suppose that philosophy has really sort of served you well when you've been dealing with significant challenges that you faced. And I can imagine that the uh, the pandemic over the last couple of years has certainly come as one of those, a really significant challenge. Um, so what was it like from an operational perspective, adapting to the obstacles that that threw at you? Well, we, we probably rewrote our policies and are still rewriting our policies to this day. You know, we, we were even having a chat yesterday in our, our staff kitchen about where where are we going with the PPE and where are we going with the testing and who are we going to turn away from the clinic? You know, how many how many people in the family with COVID before we turn them away, so on and so forth. So we've rewritten our policies, I would say, weekly from the announcement of COVID, which is, is a huge amount of work to make sure that we get that right. Um, we are caring for and working with very vulnerable people um, and we're working in multiple settings so we go into schools we go into clinics we go into hospices we go into charities and obviously we have our own clinic where we, we serve our community so the, the rewriting policies and restructuring how we do business and what we do was is obviously a demand a great demand and I'm very lucky that my team is so committed to getting it right for our clients but we were also we found ourselves in a very advantageous position because we had been running international services and national services so we were ready to do telehealth. We had telehealth policies in place. We were able to treat children via Zoom. So we were probably ahead of a lot of our peers and we were definitely ahead of a lot of our, what in theory would be called our competitors. So we were able to adapt very swiftly and very quickly and as, as an organisation rather than individuals to meet the needs of our community and also to keep whole child therapy running. And actually we ended up being very productive throughout COVID, you know, the, the team members that couldn't go to work, for instance, went and got all of our training on fully accredited, which is fantastic for our future and for now. So, um, yeah, it, it, adaptability and having a cohesive team were probably our greatest assets throughout COVID. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, having sort of that strong team around you is so, so important. And obviously making sure that their kind of morale and their mental health is in the right places, I suppose, is a crucial element that sort of came through that period of crisis management. And I suppose kind of keeping them vocal as well was also incredibly important because where there essentially were issues and they did need that sort of 
sort of pat on the back, let's say. I mean, I, I suppose you kind of like needed them to be able to kind of speak up and be very forthcoming about that as well, because where you are kind of deployed remotely, um, out of necessity through a situation like COVID, it can be harder to spot certain cues like that, can't it, when something maybe isn't quite right? Very much so. Yeah, the working on things, you have to remember as well that we're all therapists. We are all a community of people. So we're, we're clinicians and we're therapists. And not only are we clinicians and therapists, we've chosen to work in paediatrics, which is probably one of the more demanding, in my opinion, one of the more demanding clinical roles out there because children are, are diverse and their needs are diverse. But also it means that my team are very compassionate and very committed to getting it right. So, you know, our safeguarding, we, you know, we used to have sort of two, three safeguarding concerns a month through our teams. We were getting three to five safeguarding concerns or, or, or risk factors for children and young people a day. So that really impacts on the mental health of the team. And what was essential for us as an, as an organisation and, and for myself as a manager of, of those beautiful people was that we had to enable them to have a voice. So we, again, we were very lucky going into COVID. We had a culture of be vocal, be the whistleblower, be the person who identifies the problem. And that's rewarded within whole child therapy. It's rewarded mm. in our company to speak out. So again, going into whole, going into COVID and going into lockdown, I suppose we already had a culture that enabled us to steady our ship and ride the course. And I suppose that really helped as well, because I suppose if you're in a situation where everybody's kind of looking to you as a leader for answers in a crisis, and, you know, the, the, we, we remember in the early days of COVID especially that information from government wasn't always so quickly forthcoming or it changed quite quickly. It can feel very lonely at the top very quickly, can't it? So trying to kind of maintain a cool head in that situation and kind of alleviate that pressure on oneself, it's also very important, isn't it? Because like, leadership can also be quite a lonely place. Leadership can be a lonely job and, and it's, it, you know, it's something that's taken me a long time to learn the boundaries of um, is, is actually putting myself a little bit separate from the team and holding the boundaries of me being somebody that you come to towards the hierarchy of the, of the company. I think seeing myself in a hierarchical model was very hard for me. That, that probably was the slow, my slowest strand of development was realizing that I am at the top and I can't run whole job therapy fully as a cooperative it had to be run with a with a management system in place and that you know looking in the mirror I was that manager that that identity probably took me quite a long time you know we've had whole job therapy for nearly a decade now so that journey has been a longer one for me so it did the self-contained loneliness of so putting yourself at the, the top. Mm. And then during COVID very much so, you know, you're, you're holding people together and you're nurturing a team to go in and do really very stressful jobs. The whole job therapy took on a lot of very high risk clients. We took on clients that nobody else knew what to do with. Um, and we were being referred people daily because remember the NHS had redeployed most of our profession back into the hospitals, mm. rightfully so. We we needed acute medical care, and that meant that whole job therapy were picking up quite a lot of the community needs, so end of life care, high risk, highly vulnerable clients. So the emotional drain and the emotional demand on the team and myself was huge, and there were times where that felt quite lonely. And I think I'm very very lucky that I have. Earlier on, you heard me say my supposed competitors. Mm. I never see myself or whole child therapy as having competition because of the work we do. I see others being part of a of an overarching community 
that are here to serve the community. And so we are part of our community. And I think what was wonderful about that was that I was able to reach out to leaders in other sectors. So we had leaders of Great Ormond Street supporting us with our PPE and our mm. policy because they really believed in the work we were doing. We had, you know, um, St. Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospital supporting us in getting my staff vaccinated at the same time as other frontline workers because they saw the importance of our work. So although it was lonely at the top, I was able to look out to other leaders uh, and other forward thinkers and, and, and lean on them in a, in a different way for support. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think we've really seen kind of the value of networking. And we've realised over the last couple of years that we're not alone in that situation. I mean, everybody was kind of going through the same thing. And there was this willingness for leaders to communicate. And we even sort of saw a great example in sort of Big Pharma, didn't we? The fact that they were trading intellectual material for the very first time in pursuit of a working vaccine. So that just kind of shows the real kind of value of that cooperation. Um, but obviously, just going back to what you mentioned about kind of the hierarchical side of things and why that was necessary, yeah. I guess when you have that in place and you do realise that you do need that, it's important, isn't it, to kind of maintain that open door policy and make leadership um, accessible. And in a way, I suppose, given that sort of your specialism is in therapy, I guess that kind of sort of ties into your role as a leader, doesn't it? You're always kind of there and accessible to your staff as and when they need you. And um, they have you to turn to and also vice versa as well. It's very much a two-way thing, isn't it? It is. And I think roles and identity are really important in an organisational model. So again, one of the things I have learned that certainly wasn't perfect at this at the beginning, Scott, rest assured, it, 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 it takes time to learn these skills. Um, and I always say I was a great therapist. I was a really good mentor, fantastic supervisor and manager but I was not a CEO when I started this and so my last 10 years have been about learning how to be a CEO but one of the things we sort of did a couple of years before COVID thank goodness and and firmed up even more during COVID was department departmental leads specific roles very clear identity very clear tasks and I think making sure your employees and your staff have those and I always think of it as a ship we need a captain but the captain is, is paralysed without the rest of the team. And so enabling me to sort of stand at the top of the company is making sure that we've got really good line managers, as a not as a line of defence to me because I don't need defending, but as, as, a, as a flow process towards the, the leader. So although I do have an open-door policy, we, we use departmental roles and departmental managers and line managers to make sure that that flow is ebbed and carefully managed and that things can be escalated. So again, in a hierarchy, things need to be escalated up or pushed up, or I need to ask. And that enables each person to have boundaries and clear identity within the company and and specific roles in the company. And I think that's probably one of the most important ways to facilitate that open door, Mm -hmm. that there are steps and progresses for each member of the team to go through um, to feel supported and be listened to. Yeah, and it's indicative, I think, over the decades as to how sort of leadership has changed, isn't it? We've moved away from that kind of, let's say, kind of drill sergeant command and control management style, haven't we? And it's now become a lot more sort of holistic, isn't it? And when people now are talking a lot more about their kind of mental well-being, especially, and employers being able to kind of show flexibility, for instance, in what is a tough environment for recruitment right now, this is where sort of leaders really have to step up and take note to say that, you know, the the sphere is changing isn't it the way we have to lead and the way we have to compose ourselves it has to be different it's got to be that kind of more 
almost parental style, hasn't it? Yes, yeah, so what I talk about our model of practice, and I'm sure you, you know this from the information we've shared with you, I talk about it being parental versus the patriarchal model. Mm. Um, so this rather than sort of this dominating and you will do, as I say, management approach, it, you know, bear in mind, remember, I, I parent coaching is part of our organization, so that would be my language, and that, that's why I use that terminology. But we can put it into a greater context. If you look at Netflix, they talk about context versus control management style. It's a very similar philosophy. I just use a very different language. But for me, I talk, as I say, the parental versus patriarchal. So rather than running the house with a domineering hand of you will do as I say and just because I said so, we look more at the, well, this is for our good and this is how we can keep you healthy and this is how we can keep you well-fed and my job is to keep you educated and keep you on track. Um, But to keep you on track for the organisation and this household, this family unit, as much as it is to keep you on track for yourself. And, and that's the parental model, I suppose. That's why I, I reflect on our management style as being the parental versus the patriarchal model, that it's about nurturing and knowing where, again, the boundaries and the rules are really important. They're really important for children because children need to throw themselves against the boundary and know where the edge is. But actually, as a manager, they're really important as well, that your staff know where, where they can dip their toe in the water, where being both as helpful to the process and we're being both as disruptive to the process like which meeting is it appropriate to say that in or which manager is that appropriate to say in again whatsapp's a brilliant example is where you have team whatsapp if the conversation starts veering towards you know oh well i thought you were going to do it that mm. that's where that then becomes an inefficient system so the whatsapp we have a whatsapp group for sort of locking up the building we have and then if we're going to communicate our frustrations that needs to be done in another forum and in another way so it doesn't become disruptive. And I think that parental model of, of making sure that clear boundaries, clear structure, clear identities are in place as a good parent does and that we can nurture and shape and drive our teams towards their own personal future again as a parent does. I think that's really important. And I know from my own model of practice with my staff, I'm not shaping my staff just for their time at whole child therapy. I'm allowing my staff to shape themselves to continue their journey wherever that may take them. Mm. And I think that's a really parental lens. My start knowing innately that, that, that our team are going to have to grow and change and go off and be parents or go and work somewhere else or live somewhere else, knowing that you are a stepping stone in their life rather than them being tied the cause, the cause is that each of them be the best that they can be and shape themselves towards their own future. And I think that's where that parental lens is really important. And that word parental is really important because it's it's understanding what you can give back to your team as much as what your team are there to give to the company. Mm, exactly right. And um, it does suffice to say, actually, just for everybody tuning in, that we are recording this podcast on the uh, the 10th of March 2022. So it's just two days, actually, after um, International Women's Day. And uh, something I just wanted to talk about, Neris, actually, yeah, we've, we've spoken about how leadership has changed into that kind of more sort of holistic parental style. Do you think that over the decades, as we've seen especially more women entering leadership roles, that that's maybe helped facilitate that positive change towards that? Of course, we do have a very long way to go before sort of full equality is achieved on that front. But do you think that that has sort of had an impact on that sort of overall shift? I do. I think female leaders are really demonstrating a different way of working. I think we've, we've, we've as women, we've, we've had to actually assert our identity. So if we look at historic leaders like Margaret Thatcher, who 
stood alongside the boys and, and, and demonstrated that she could be as harsh and as, as patriarchal as, um, as the boys. She joined the boys club and I, I'm not underestimating how women like Margaret Thatcher, whatever my political views, and obviously I'm, I'm a healthcare worker, so probably not aligned with privatising the universe, but I, I, I'm not driven by that patriarchal model, but I am very grateful for those female leaders that came before us. But I think that my generation of women have a real opportunity to say, no, these are our qualities. These are our strengths, our nurture, our care, our compassion, our vulnerability, are our powerhouse and when we lead from those positions we bring something a, a really strong essence and we saw didn't we in publications as you say on world women's day mm. companies being led by women are succeeding at a much more accelerated rate than by men but for me it's too linear to say man versus woman we have amazing parental leaders that are men we have mm. men that are braving vulnerability alongside those women this isn't and and also we are in it. We should be encouraging a gender neutral society. There's more than man or woman. There's more than mono uh, uh, or black or white. They're, they're this, we should be looking at equality. We should be looking at driving individual strengths. There is something great about a leader who can be very black and white, very cut and dry, very patriarchal. But they must be complemented by somebody that can nurture mm. and support and grow and see the uniqueness of the individuals in that company. So it's about finding the balance, I think. And I do believe that women in leadership roles are making a huge change to how we work our organisations and how we run industries. And I'm, I'm very proud of women in business. And I know for myself that, that the predominance of my own mentors have been female leaders. Exactly right. And it's going to be so, so fascinating to kind of see how th that constant state of flux starts to really shift over the uh, the years to come because leadership is changing. More and more women are finding themselves in those roles in excelling organisations. So something certainly to keep an eye on and something that's incredibly, incredibly positive. And uh, while we're talking about um, the future as, uh, as well, Neris, just before we, uh, we wrap up on the, uh, the programme today, um, for your organisation moving forward, Whole Child Therapy, um, what's sort of the, uh, the big plan initially for this sort of next 12 months as we get to grips with the challenges of 2022 now that hopefully we're out of COVID? And then how is that going to sort of complement toward the longer term aim, would you say? Well, we're doing a lot more mentorship and management structuring. So we're now going into schools and other organisations, other charity organisations, and enabling them to use the framework and the management structures that we have learned, the toolkit that we've learned, enables every child to have their needs met and enables our staffing team to be nurtured and supported. So we're now being brought in a lot more to come in and set up services in schools and then enable them to stand independently and on their own running those services. So rather than having a dependency on us, you know, enabling them long-term sustainability. And I suppose for me, that's a really important part of how I want to grow whole child is making sure that children's needs can be met. They can be met sustainably. You know, children's healthcare and education are impoverished and, and, and very underfunded organisations. And they mm. always will be because their priority is lesser than, than, than something that's more commercial or, or that we can see in the press more. So, you know, if, we, if you genuinely looked at children's mental health statistics at the moment, they're horrifying. And the only way that we're going to enable those communities, educators and healthcare organisations to do better is to make sure that they have really robust structures and, and 
organisational toolkits in place so that they can sustainably and long-term meet those needs. So that's probably where whole child therapy is going in the future is mentoring, management, service structuring and educational training. Um, and then making sure that we support women in industry. So one of the other things I'm doing now is, is branching out more into mentoring and working alongside other people in business to mm. enable them to restructure their identity as a leader. Yeah, it's all incredibly exciting stuff, isn't it? And um, I think you are very, very right in uh, what you say there. Of course, supporting women in industry is incredibly important, but also on the first point, the fact that it is in the interests of society to really invest in this younger generation and in their well-being, because it's the future generation that ultimately is going to have to pay back into the uh, the system one day. And if they're not in the right state of mind or in the right um, sort of kind of zone to do so then like i say we're only going to sort of suffer for it so it's incredibly important that we do see progress on that side of things for sure we do we do need to support this generation and i think we need to be very honest about how our community feel like you say we've had a real shift in industry in the last 10 years we need to go further even when we're talking about female leaders you know i'm I'm a big advocate of look at male statistics in mental health men especially of my generation you know 40s 50s have been crushed by this toxic male perception of that they they have to be leaders and they have to be forceful Mm. so again enabling this generation of children to be themselves to have their own identity to not feel that they are being shifted into a square peg round hole that will only start if we can enable those working in those environments the freedom uh, and the ability to, to to be themselves and to be nurtured and cared for themselves. So I think that's probably, uh, as I said, a huge drive for us is making sure that school leaders and school educators mm. are also well cared for and well looked after because otherwise they're not going to be able to turn that nurture back down the chain to the person or the young person behind them. So it is about helping shift the whole cultural perspective mm. within these environments that are, are quite historic and institutionalized yep i think that's very true it is going to sort of take a real culture shift to really sort of manifest these changes that we do need to see and it's going to be very very fascinating to kind of see how that starts to facilitate and as we do start to really see the fog lifting on that and we do understand exactly what we're going to be faced with in this ever-changing landscape I have to admit, Neris, um, given how informative it's been welcoming you onto the programme with us today, I'd love to even welcome you back in future just to catch up on that ever-changing situation. And we can also just reassess uh, how things are going uh, within Whole Child as well, because it's a fantastic mission that you're on. And on those two fronts as well, looking after this younger generation, trying to sort of promote more women in leadership, both incredible missions, and do certainly wish you all the luck in the world in affecting those uh, to the best possible effect. Thank you so much, Scott. We'd, we'd love to come and talk to you. I think because we work across mental and physical health, we have a wonderful lens to share with others. So we would we would really welcome to come back and have a chat with you again in the future. And uh, and for me, advocating for leadership and advocating for really what I would call ethical leadership is 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 one of my internal innate drives as a human. So I would love to see that, Scott. Thank you. Fantastic. And it's something that we're also incredibly passionate about here at the uh, the Leaders Council, uh, for sure. And um, thank you, Neris, for coming in, of course, sharing your uh, story with us. And do, uh, by all means, take care and stay safe with all that's still going on in the world as well. And you, Scott. Take care. Thank you. It was an immense pleasure welcoming Neris Hughes from Whole Child Therapy onto today's programme. And I do hope that everybody tuning in today thoroughly enjoyed what was an incredibly compelling interview. Um, 
for everybody tuning in today, if you run your own business or organisation with its own story of success and innovation to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, or even if you are trying to change the face of leadership or the face of the world, then we want to hear from you also. So why not also apply to be on the programme via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply, because we would absolutely love to hear from you. Um, Until next time to all of our listeners, you've been listening to the Leaders' Council podcast with host Scott Chaloner. Take care and goodbye.